Hello everyone and welcome to The Kennel, a podcast about the team of the Mighty West, the Western Bulldogs. My name is Josh Lloyd and we're here now to talk about our, our great victory over the Port Adelaide Power and to talk about the game. Once again, I'm joined by Simon Smith. Simon, how are you after that, uh, that thrilling victory? Yes, thanks Josh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I thought it was just another amazing win on top of last week's effort against West Coast. Um, yeah, I mean, just more sort of against the odds sort of win and being at the state was just terrific. Now we uh, we opined last week, Smitty, that that a win against West Coast was the best win of the season. Does this one top it? Um, I'd probably have to say it would, um, just considering the circumstances. Going down a midfielder in the first quarter in Dalhouse, who's been you know close to our best player this year, um, I'd, yeah, it'd be hard to top. I would have thought. Now, not only yeah, a midfielder, you said the best player this year, a player who's who should be in serious consideration for for all Australian selection with what Dowhouse has been doing in terms of getting the ball, but his defensive presence is probably one of the best defensive forward slash midfielders in the game. And to lose him in the first quarter, be down a rotation, be on the road in Adelaide in a hostile environment, still without Easton Wood, um, and then losing Marcus Adams before the game. So we went in with the same depleted team we had last week. Then we lost Adams. Then we lost Dalhouse. And without Toby McLean, who obviously we lost last week for a pretty significant length of time with that foot injury, I don't think it gets much better than that now. The, the power were, they, let's give the scores. The power were 14, 13, 97. We got over the line by three points, 15, 10, 100. Um, finally, we were efficient with the ball. One of the first times this season, I think that we didn't have more possessions than the opponent, but some, uh, some decent forward entries, some decent conversion, which is not something that we've seen from the team much this season. We were led by Redpath, who kicked four, Stringer kicked three, including two, uh, two key late goals. Dixon and Bonson Pally with two. Libertore, Honeychurch, Dalhouse, and Biggs all kicked a single goal each. It was um, it was a stirring victory. I'm pretty sure well, you could see the boys were, were pretty pumped. Um, what's your what's your overall thought on the game? How how did you think we were done in the in the third quarter? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I thought we were done. I mean, you, you you would have thought that considering the amount of ball that Port Adelaide did have, that that we'd sort of you know probably go down by more than sort of the sort of couple of goals was probably the most that we were down by. So, um, I mean, consider, yeah, considering that and the fact that the back line held up so well, obviously considering the amount of players we had out, um, so yeah, I mean, we could have been up even at three-quarter time. Obviously, we lost a couple of goals right late, so they went up by nine points and then managed to, you know, sort of kick five goals in the last quarter. It was just, it was just fantastic. Yeah, now... It- our defense has been the best in the AFL by, by a considerable margin for all, all of the season. Um, but I think the, the way that they played in the second quarter is what kept us in the game because we were getting destroyed. It's not often that we get just monstered at the contest like that and our yeah, contested possession was just well down. We couldn't get our hands on the ball. We couldn't get the ball outside of their forward 50. But our defense, defensive midfielders as well, did some pretty good work. But the the trio, or not even the trio, the six guys back there, and we're depleted. There's no Adams, there's no Johannesson, there's no Murphy, there's no Wood, but the, the players who were there, Morris, Hamling, Fletcher Roberts, you know, stepped up to a, a tremendous degree, and uh, I thought they were probably one of the, or probably the key factor in actually keeping us close, so that then we could uh, launch an offensive onslaught in that last quarter. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they, they won't get much of the wraps, obviously, you know, they're sort of getting sort of six, seven, eight possessions each, and um, you know, sort of not kicking goals, obviously, but um, the amount of work that they did was pretty pretty amazing. And um, yeah, as you said earlier, considering his away and all that sort of thing, and just you know, I mean, being played down the first quarter, it's um, it puts obviously pressure on the midfield, but the the back line was probably the unsung hero of the day. Now, 
we've on this podcast, I specifically have been on Fletcher Roberts' one percenter watch for most weeks. Now, he didn't lead the team this week. He had 12 one percenters, but um, 13 was the leader on the team with Joel Hamlin with 13 and Dale Morris with 13. So those three guys just did. And one percenters include things like spoils, um, shepherds, knock-ons, that sort of stuff. And I thought all of their games were, were basically faultless. Joel Hamlin played on Westhoff, and Westhoff had zero impact on the game. Now, Charlie Dixon... If you listen to the way the commentators were commentating the game, which I'm sure most people did, you would think that Charlie Dixon had kicked 17 um, and was you know, taking 20 marks when, when he barely had an impact as well. He took a couple of grabs, but every time he went near the ball, it was like he was Wayne Carey. But Roberts did a pretty good job there, and Morris was his steady self. And Wingard had, what, two touches up until three-quarter time? So those three guys really just put the brakes on anything that those forwards, and they're pretty decent forwards. But to bring a guy in like Hamling at last minute, Roberts, who's not a first-choice defender, although probably is now, I thought that you couldn't fault anything. That I don't think did they make a mistake that you saw. Well, not not. I mean, obviously no. I mean, they probably did, but it wasn't anything sort of glaring or anything like that. I mean, you got guys that they're playing on that, are, in terms of Dixon and those sort of guys that are much bigger and on a hell of a lot more money than what Fletcher Roberts would be on, or you know, Hamling and these sort of guys. So. Um, the fact that they've they've stood up and it's just amazing. I mean, not just them, but you know, we lose Toby McLean and you bring in Mitch Honeychurch and he has twenty two possessions and kicks a goal. I mean, it's it's been yeah. I mean, it's just amazing the the amount of players that sort of go out and come in and they they seem to be able to sort of step in and sort of pretty much replace whoever's come out. Well, let's let's talk about the, the players that came in. We've talked Hamling and and you just mentioned Honeychurch. I thought that Honeychurch was absolutely superb today. Um, he, he came in to replace Toby McLean, but basically what he did, in my opinion, is he replaced uh, the Luke Dalhouse role. So he moved into that role as that you know, forward, maybe the Luke Dalhouse role from a year and a half, two years ago. Not as much of a midfield guy, but that ridiculous forward pressure sort of player. Kicked a, a key goal in the last quarter and that I, I didn't look this up. I probably should have. That's probably his most possessions he's had in an AFL game. Laid six tackles, had two inside fifties, and really, uh, you couldn't be happy happier for the kid. And it's you know, he's always going to be that player who's sort of on the fringe, and he's clearly been overtaken by McLean and by by Daniel in that little man stakes. But you'd have to say he's a full step ahead of where Nathan Rovat is at the moment. Oh yeah, definitely. Obviously. Rovat's been a bit unlucky in terms of injury and whatnot and falling sort of down the pecking order. But, um, I mean, Honeychurch is, I mean, by the looks of it, he's been knocking down the door for a few weeks. He's been emergency a number of times. So, um, I mean, we, we've seen him obviously have some pretty good games in the last sort of year or two. But, obviously, I mean, it's terrific that the team's doing so well and obviously having guys to his calibre that are missing out. And um, he obviously showed today that he's more than capable of um, doing a job and, and hopefully he can keep, it, keep that going for the next sort of few weeks. Well, uh, we're going to be missing Dalhouse. It, it appears for you know, between four to eight weeks is the really, really early diagnosis on if it is an indeed a, a medial ligament strain, which is obviously a, a real pain in the ass considering the amount of players that we've lost already. And he is one of the more important players on this team. But you obviously don't want to take any risks. Things happen, and hopefully he's back and ready to go by the by the finals. We've got ten weeks to go until the until the finals start. 
So timeline looks like he should be ready to go by then. But Honeychurch is going to have a role with, with McLean now sideline long term and uh, and Dalhouse potentially out for for a month or two. He's going to have to maintain that sort of work rate. I've never seen him play a game as well as he did today. He looked solid with his hands. He didn't panic. He didn't make mistakes. He was quick with his decision making, which is something I've folded him for in the past. Um, and yeah, you know, the composure to kick that goal at the end it was uh, it was it was pretty impressive, and it was. Obviously, a really key goal in the outcome of the game. Oh, definitely that goal. I mean, yeah. I mean, you sort of obviously had to steady and do it and whatnot. Obviously, after you sort of run a hell of a long way to get there and um, to perform that and to perform how he did in terms of coming in for his first game was obviously um, terrific. And you know, it's it's sort of been the case not only him but the sort of we've obviously already had the foot. I mean, we drafted foot players this year and they've already you know all have played and all have done well and. I mean, Bailey Williams, I thought he was good again today. And um, Josh Dunkley, he, you know, sort of did bits and pieces here and there. So, they, you know, they didn't necessarily get best on ground, but they've all sort of slotted in and done well. Yeah, look, that they were solid. There was nothing wrong with anything they did. They weren't spectacular. I think Dunkley was extraordinarily hard at the contest. He had six tackles, dished out 10 handballs. I thought that, that his work in and under the packs, again, he's, he sort of stepped up and took some of that Dalhouse action away as well as, as being that guy who, who could get some clearances out. And he got three clearances himself as well. So I thought that was pretty good. Williams looks really calm uh, with the ball in his hands. And none of these players that we seem to bring in have had... You know, Kieran Collins was overawed in his first game, but everyone else who's who's played over the last two years has just absorbed everything that they needed to absorb about the system and uh, has played... Yeah, you couldn't ask for much more than what you've seen from majority of the players who have, uh, who have come into the team. Now, watching on TV, as we were, Simon, the um, the commentary left a little to be desired. I think it's uh, it's fair to say. You have uh, Dwayne Russell, who is potentially the worst in the business at actually commentating games. Extraordinary bias towards Port Adelaide was was driving me nuts. I'm sure it was driving most of the people nuts who, who were watching it, who were Bulldog supporters. I'm sure you saw that as well. Yeah, um, it was pretty. Yeah, it's pretty plain to see early in the game who they were siding with, and um, it was yeah. I mean, obviously he played for Port Adelaide before he went to Geelong, so that you know you can sort of pick it up very early. We we had him. I remember last year we played down in Geelong, and obviously he played at Geelong, and it was a similar story. It was you know he's. I mean, whenever they did something, the support was sort of ten times <laughs> to what we were doing. So. Um, yeah, it was it was either him or the umpires. I'm not sure who were worse. You know, it's one of those ones that's hard to figure out. Yeah, well, again, that's you know, the umpiring. 23 t- free kicks to 10. I'm not I'm not I want to complain too much about umpiring, but it was some pretty uh, some pretty weird sort of decisions uh, during the game. But to be you know have be out umpired at 23 to 10 to be on the road to be a player down. That's it's a tremendous effort to come back from that. There was one thing that really bothered me. With uh, with the ump or a couple of things, and it's it sort of ties in umpiring slash uh, slash commentators in that um, which was not the last quarter, the third quarter, Dale Morris down on the wing closest to to screen, and Chad Wingard flew for a mark, knee straight in the back of his head, and the commentators initially yep should have been a free kick, and then they went and watched the replay, and said no nah, probably not because his eyes are on the ball. Now Smitty, I'm I'm pretty sure I've got a fair grasp of the rules of the AFL, but if you fly for a mark, don't touch it and smash into someone's head doesn't matter where your eyes are it, it makes no difference does it uh no i don't think so um yeah because obviously the last couple of weeks have been talking about trying to protect the head and ducking for freeze and all that sort of stuff and obviously this was an accidental but you know that's potentially a concussion and you know you could miss a week you know i mean obviously it didn't happen but 
Um, yeah, I mean, clearly the umpire was right there and that wasn't paid. But obviously, as you said before, you don't want to complain too much. But just going through the stats now, I've just seen that Liver and Bondon Pally had a combined 39 contested possessions, which is crazy, and they had one free kick between them. So yeah, that's, that was, that's yeah. ridiculous. They, they had their <laughs> hand on the ball that, that often. The one thing, again, just back to the commentary, my last thing on the commentary, and this is a real highlight to me, and it's something that just bugs me. You just wish you could somehow access the feed and just chuck a comment in there and just allow them to then speak about it. Because there was a stage, I think it was, uh, I wish I remembered the name, I think it was Hartlett, who, or maybe it was Gray, who, who got tackled fairly in the middle and then uh, the tackle slipped down by Roughhead around his around his foot. You, you recall that one, Smitty? Yeah, yeah. And the commentators, I, I thought they were going to, I don't know what they were going to, I thought they were going to explode. You can't grab a man by his foot. No, it's, it's, yep, fine. I, I agree with that. It was around, It was around his legs. It should have been their free kick. But if you head back one quarter before that, one of one of the Port Adelaide players, I might have been their ruckman, Dougal, Dougal Howard, I think it was, he picked up the ball and in the process of picking up the ball, picked up Mitch Wallace's foot. And the commentators made a point of it. Oh, look at that. He happened to grab the, the player's leg while he was getting the ball. Ha, ha, ha. That's called tackling someone by the legs. It doesn't matter if you've got the ball. You can't just grab someone else's legs. And these are the sort of umpiring, and it's not an umpiring inconsistent because both weren't paid. But don't talk about it like it's a funny thing as a commentator and then have an absolute heart attack when the free kick doesn't go Port Adelaide's way because you grabbed him by the leg. And you were making a joke out of the exact same thing, but because the guy had the ball in one hand and the leg in the other one, it's okay. Like, just get some get some common sense and, and stop just trying to trying to make ridiculous comments and jokes. And that, re- that they're the sort of things that really piss me off, things that are, that are identical and get viewed in different ways. There's things can yeah. be missed all the time, but that was, that was ludicrous to me. I agree, yeah. I mean... You can understand. I mean, if there's, I mean, there's forty-one thousand. There was obviously a terrific crowd, and commentators are going to, you know, they can probably get sucked in a little bit by the um, crowd and sort of go for them. But um, yeah, I mean, that was just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's really, it's, it's unfortunate because, you know, it's just not a, it's, it's just not a sort of a balanced view, I suppose you could say. And it's, yeah, it, it, it yeah, and especially in a close game when. You're seeing sort of decisions that are, you know, can be a bit 50 50, and then we've got, um, yeah, commentators, obviously, we mentioned Wayne Russell, that are carrying on like, you know, sort of maniacs when certain things happen. It, it, it sort of it just frustrates you even more watching it on the TV. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to have someone commentating who has a, a bias towards a team, um, but it needs to be balanced out. You need to have someone who, from the other team, and I'm all for um, having. Commentators, one for, you have one who's a, you have a Bulldogs commentator, whoever that is, they go to each Bulldogs game and they commentate. You have a Port commentator and they come and they offer special team-based commentary, and then you have a, a neutral caller like a whoever it is, like Jared Waitley or whoever whoever it is is just who just calls the game. Dwayne Russell doesn't count because he's useless, but you have someone who offers a perspective who's got more in-depth knowledge of a team rather than these people trying to speak with when they clearly don't know anything about a lot of the teams and then have clearly, they've all, all three of them have gone and put money on Port Adelaide before the game and there is almost no doubt to me that at least two of those three commentators had money on Port before the game. Not that they're influencing the result, but it influences how they how they call the game. You need to have one from each team. I think this is a, maybe I should present this to AFL House. A commentator from each team and it's a travelling commentator. They go around and they offer insight on the team. It balances out and I think it'll work out real well. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned last, I mean, was like, I come a couple of, last couple of weeks. Um, Liv had a uh, Tom Libertori had a shot from around fifty, and they sort of speculated whether he was capable of kicking it, and he obviously did it. You know, he 
basically just stabbed it through. Yeah. Easily. And I noticed one today, I mean, he didn't have a shot, but I mean, Liam Pickens more than capable of kicking from outside 50. And they basically said, he, it was Wayne Russell who said the same thing. He's going, oh, you know, I'm not sure whether that's his kicking range or not. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously, <laughs> it's obviously within his capability. So that, that does frustrate quite a bit. Yeah, it just, it just it's a lack of knowledge. It's a lack of research. And yes, I, you know what? There's 18 teams and it's hard to get a, a grasp on every single player, but it's not impossible. And even if it is impossible, there's ways around it. And that's uh, that's my commentator. So if anyone knows anyone who works at Fox Sports or Channel 7, please feel free to pass my suggestion on. I don't even need credit. Just I just want it fixed. Anyway, let's get back to the match. Um, Smitty, it was, it, it was, it was a, a great win. There was a number of Fantastic performances from players. Let's go to our three-two-one now. We'll start with you and go with your three-two-one. Yeah. So obviously it was quite an outstanding win, and um, you know it was pretty pretty even. I mean, I wouldn't say there was any sort of out and out sort of best on grounds, but we give. I'd, I mean, personally, I'd give the one to Matthew Boyd. I thought he was just had another outstanding game across the back line. Um, overall, he's. I thought his ball use was quite good. I mean, that's two weeks in a row. We had 28 possessions and um, you know, it was really the sort of the, I suppose, the, the linchpin in terms of the disposal and the use of the ball. He did, um, he did have one stinker of a turnover coming out of defensive 50. We kicked about five metres over someone's head straight to a port guy on the edge of the centre square. And that's the, always the concern I have with him. And yes, some of his kicking was great. Some little left foot chips in um, to guys, some, some nice passes. But he always says that one where it's just... You know, miles off a target that can be really costly, and he had one today. I think it didn't turn into a goal, so it didn't turn out that bad. But yeah, he was he was pretty good. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. Um, I gave two to Tom Libertore. Um, I mean, he, he had twenty four possessions, uh, eight tackles, six on, six inside fifties. He kicked a terrific goal on the run with you know, sort of right on the boundary, almost fifty out. Um, you know. Sort of hard to hard to stand out in terms of obviously he's so in and under in terms of his um, possessions, twenty one contested, which is pretty pretty crazy when you think about it. And I thought I thought he was terrific again. And the three, which is becoming pretty common now, I thought Marcus Pondipelli, twenty nine possessions, uh, two goals, eighteen contested possessions. Um, he seems to be just becoming extremely consistent over the past sort of four to five weeks. Um, it'd be very surprising, it'd be very odd if he hadn't picked up multiple groundline votes over that time. Now, before we uh, before we actually get into giving my three, two, one, I just a quick a quick note. What did you think of them uh, going with Boyd as the captain today over Bonson Pally? Um, yeah, I thought that was a little bit surprising. Um, I'm not sure what... I'm not sure. Was, was there a reason given? I, I didn't really sort of see why that was the case. The only thing they said is that they're, they're deciding to rotate it until Wood comes back, which I I, I don't really understand. Bontempelli is clearly like a future ca- the future captain of this club and didn't like having any issues doing it last week. I just would have given him the extra experience. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. I don't, I don't know why that would be the case. Um, I mean, obviously, it's great we won, so that, that helps. Um, but I, wouldn't have, I mean, I would have thought of Considering the great win we had last week against West Coast, we wouldn't have changed. Yeah, it, it was it was strange for me, but in the end, it doesn't really make a huge amount because of difference because Boyd's still providing leadership even if he's not captain, and Bontempelli's yeah. doing the same, and all these guys are doing. It. I'll give him my three, two, one. I gave one to Libba as well. I thought he was enormous. That goal he kicked was was really a, a fantastic kick. Yeah, you know, to get that interception, get it straight onto his boot from the boundary, and uh, and sail it through. Again, that's not something that uh that Tony would ever do. 
and kick it from that that sort of spot. But but Libba was, uh, was probably one of his best games of, of the season. I thought, yes, he had some games where he had a tremendous amount of tackles. That one against Melbourne, but still, you know, he pumped the ball inside fifty six times, which was a uh, leading leading for the team. Um, the twenty four touches, the twenty one contested possessions, another eight tackles. Really, a, a tremendous performance. I gave two to Mitch Wallace. I thought Wallace was uh, fantastic as a, a guy getting the hard ball. He was in under tremendous amount of packs. You always saw him around the contest. He ended up with 28 touches. He had uh, four tackles. He pumped the ball inside 56 times as well, and that was the extra role that he sort of played. And I thought that, again, I talked about Honeychurch moving into a Dalhouse role. Um, I talked about Dunkley doing it, but I thought Wallace moved into some of that role as well. And being that guy who gets the ball just at the at the top of the square, just at just at the, the inside the center square, and turns there, gets it out of that center area, and then pumps it inside 50. I thought he did that, and that's that's sort of a Dalhouse specialty, that role in between that first five meters of the center square and the 50-meter line. Wallace was just hovering around that area a lot today, got the ball, and I thought he was really productive alongside doing what he needed to do you know, in in and under the packs. Defensively, he was good as well, and I thought you know, he's been a guy that's been underrated to me all season and a, a tremendous performance from him today, and I couldn't agree with you more, Smitty. Uh, Bontempelli was the, the three votes to me. He just bop, pops up at, at key times. That goal he kicked at the start. Now, he's a guy that I've criticized, not really criticized, but you know what, the guy's not, not fast. But that goal he kicked at the start, you don't have to be smart. You don't have to be fast when you're that smart. Like when he tapped the ball in front of him, and he was still, he wasn't slow, but he's not blisteringly fast. And maybe it's partly because his legs are so massively long that he covers the ground quickly. But the fact that he took that little one step to the side and created just that meter of separation, almost like a step back kick. And then just popped it over, popped it over the guy's head for a, for a snap kick as the only player in the Ford 50 was something that 95% of AFL players wouldn't have been able to do. But he, you just felt it was never really in doubt that he was going to do something with it. And yeah, then he gets the contested possessions, then he gets the the inside 50s, then he lays the tackles. And we talked about the defenders having all these you know one percenters, and it, it is a, a stat that is very much skewed towards defenders. But the next highest on a team behind Morris, Roberts, and Hamling was Bonson Pally. So he's in there doing the hard things as well, doing defensive stuff, extracting the ball, and th- there's a there's a real chance that this guy becomes the best player in the competition in the next two or three years. Yeah, I mean, Craig Hutchison tweeted straight after the game. He, he said that he said, "Is he is he has he become the best player?" I mean, can't really say that yet. He hasn't played fifty games yet, so um, but it's pretty amazing. I mean, he's six foot four and he plays, you know, I mean, you can see what he can do when he runs and bounces and kicks the ball and he can sort of, you know, he's got such great agility and mobility, but he's, um, majority of his work is contested possessions, obviously at 18 today and, you know, he's sort of in and under work and whatnot and he's one percenters. Um, he's sort of got both strings. He can sort of attack and he can sort of just get all the hard sort of stuff. So it's, um, yeah, I mean, for <laughs> the amount of games he's played, it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, he's look at the age of twenty, or maybe he just turned uh, to twenty-one. But yeah, he's got a he's got a fairly bright future, and it's pretty exciting having a player of that ability, which you could see from basically his second or third game. That this guy is going to be, or this guy has the potential to be the best player in the competition, and to see it, it grow, it's um it's pretty special stuff. And he's in there, and you know, from all reports, a, a really good bloke, a terrific leader, not afraid to do any of the hard stuff that needs to be done, and he did it. And again, just almost willed us to, to a victory and got key key grabs inside 50 in the first quarter in the fourth quarter got us off to a fast start helped seal the game at the end and then you know sets everyone up with just 
amazing vision. It is really just a thrill to watch him play. And he doesn't need 30 touches a game. And I said this before, he didn't need 30 touches a game. But now he gets 30 touches a game and still does all that stuff as well. And the game is just, it's not becoming too easy for him. But he makes it look uh, makes it look pretty easy compared to a lot of the other players running around out there. What about we look at your uh, unsung hero for this week, Simon? Who's a player that you want to give some credit to who might not get as much credit as they uh, as they deserve in the uh, mainstream media? Um, I'll probably I'd have to give it to I mean he does get a little bit, but Jack Redpath. I mean he does get some credit, but not 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 as much as sort of Bonapalli and Jake Stringer. So um, three goals in the first quarter, finished with four. Um, he seems to be getting better as the sort of season goes on. He obviously didn't start and start at the start of the year because um, Tom Boyd was inside. Um, he's leading and whatnot. Just seems to sort of improve. He just seems to be getting a better. Uh, feel for you know where to run and all that sort of thing. So, I mean, four goals in terms of a close game was terrific. I, I agree. I agree with you in terms of his, his leading has improved a lot. His aerobic capacity has improved a lot. His um his confidence looks sky high. He attacks the ball with supreme confidence now, and I have supreme confidence in him going for the ball when he's going you know, leading after stretch up or attacking a pack. I've got pretty good confidence he's going to grab the ball and come down with it. His actual ability to kick. Um, in terms of passing, is is not something I ever really associated with him. But he he can spot up guys from you know twenty meters away, from forty meters away, and, and hit a target, hit a leading target, and that's a that's a key thing. And he's not doing it with those typical big man sort of you know head down over the ball, big high kicks. Like he he'll st- he'll stab a kick and he'll he'll stab a forty meter pass to someone, and that's not something you see from uh, guys that weigh yeah. I'd probably be pretty generous if I say he weighed 100 kilos. Like you don't see many guys of that size being able to deliver those sort of passes or have that sort of have that sort of confidence in in delivering those passes and having the confidence and then executing it. I think is uh, is pretty key. But he was he was great. Kicked the four goals. I'm sure that you're all aware of that if you watch the TV because Dwayne Russell mentioned it at least 70 times that his career high was four goals and against Port Adelaide last season and. I don't want to digress too much, but this goes back again to my my point of these commentators. They said, "Oh, his best game, his best career game so far was against Port Adelaide last year when he kicked four goals." And that's fine. But if you remember that game, Simon, which you might not, he kicked four goals when we were up by seventy points with three of them in the last quarter when Port had stopped trying. That doesn't equate to a good. That doesn't equate to your best game. I thought his game against Melbourne was probably his best game, and today probably eclipses it. But just another stupid thing of people to say when commentating the game in a in a position of somewhat power and authority if we go into my unsung hero i give it to shane biggs he was uh he was pretty poor um a few weeks back especially in that game against north melbourne he looked lost after starting the season quite strong but i thought he was awesome today not only did he you know, do his work defensively he ended up with 17 touches but his ability to deliver the ball into forward 50 he was um we led the team in terms of inside 50s with i oh, know he didn't he was second behind uh Libertore and uh, and Wallace but he had five inside 50s and he was playing a role as more of a designated kicker you could see the guys who were lining up around the center trying to find him and getting him to deliver a pass in and i've got really a huge amount of credit for guys who who fit a role and and then execute that role at as best as they can and that everyone knew to look for him they looked for him they found him and he delivered almost every time that he was looking for a player inside 50 he hit someone either in the hands or on the chest and it turned into a shot of goal i thought he was tremendous for us today and he's been a key aside from a couple of games where he was pretty poor and made some poor decisions but stepping up with murphy and johannesson out and then with wood out into that you're the only guy left as a running half back and then taking it in stride and getting better I think he's been a real key part to what what we've done over these last couple of weeks. 
Oh, completely. Um, yeah, I mean, he's overall he's, he's had one or two sort of probably down games, but apart from that, as you said, he's been very consistent. And obviously, with you know the amount of players we won't list them all that uh, have been missing, he's obviously now he's sort of entrenched in the back line. He's you know sort of one of the more experienced players down the back, which sounds pretty crazy because he's not all that experienced, but he's quite a reliable sort of user of the ball, as you mentioned. And um, yeah. It, you know, kicking a goal as well from the back line is pretty pretty invaluable. And um, we wait and see in terms of sort of what, what help he gets in the next couple of weeks. Now, let's talk about some of the other players in this game. I thought if there was one player who was a little bit down on form today, it was uh, well, maybe more than one, but um, Suckling wasn't quite at his best today. He was pretty important last week, but wasn't quite there today. He still had the 17 touches, but just didn't look really as damaging he was only went 47 percent effective disposals which is obviously not a great figure um had six rebound 50 so not a bad number there but just i don't know there was just he just wouldn't didn't seem like he was in the right position to me uh yeah i don't know i mean i'm just guessing maybe he obviously missed a month and he sort of i mean he's obviously had a couple of games back perhaps um being a six-day break maybe he's still getting his gas back into his tank and whatnot and um, I thought he started okay. He sort of just yeah, he seemed to die off, and I, I actually thought something had happened because he sort of really didn't see much. But um, I'm sure he'll he'll be better next week. Yeah, he was like he, he wasn't bad by any stretch, but he just wasn't the same. And Lockie Hunter, you could almost say the same thing. Like he'd been setting a pretty high standard for himself, getting 30 touches pretty much every game. Didn't quite do it today. Only had the 25 touches, but he was still pretty effective, I thought, in what he did. And again, just playing the role of what he needed to do, being an outlet guy, you know, back left of a pack, you know, kicking along that boundary on that on that left hand side with his left foot. I thought that he was he was good, but he wasn't quite as good as what he'd been in in other weeks. But that's probably the strength of this team, and that's how we've been able to withstand so many injuries. Is that across the board, we've got so many players who can who can actually step up and do this. And if Hunter doesn't get 35. You know, someone else steps up and Wallace goes for 30. And there's just so many different options. So Hunter was a little bit down today, as was McRae, who only had 21 touches. But I thought that McRae was tremendous defensively. Smitty, he laid 10 tackles, tops on the team. Um, he was in and under and getting a lot of hard ball as well. Oh, definitely. I mean, he had 20, 10 tackles. I, I thought he was, I mean, he was as hard as anyone. And I thought he was pretty stiff in terms of the amount of times I thought he pretty much just got crunched and wasn't rewarded him, and he ended up with one free kick, which is pretty crazy. I mean, we're that's, not that's trying to talk at the umpires too much, but um, I thought he was sort of pretty pretty unlucky and wasn't rewarded because you know the amount he put in. I, I just thought it was it was pretty bad, and obviously the commentators did mention it as we expect. That's pretty usual. Um, that I thought he I thought he was really good. Caleb Daniel was was. And I was going to say he's solid, but the guy's a second-year player. Like what he's doing is something you expect a player in year 24-25 with a hundred games under his belt just to continually do week in week out. He never fades, he never disappears. He's not um, inconsistent. He's just the same every week. Reliable kick, you know, super with his decision making. That move he made in that last quarter with that little sort of shimmy running out of the back line that set up a goal for us was just something you don't expect from a player at that sort of age. And he is going to have a very long career. Oh, totally. I mean, yeah, as you said, it's sort of what what he when he gets. So yeah, I mean, it's pretty hard to fault in terms of his, his development as a player, and we just sort of hope he keeps up what he's doing. 
Now, last week I, I mentioned about Jake Stringer and how I was, uh, I'm adamant that he will be a midfielder at some point. They moved him into the midfield again after a, a pretty slow few first few quarters up forward, and I thought he basically turned the game back into our direction. He had some key defensive work down back on a two-on-one uh, with Wingard in, in the forward pocket for them in the fourth quarter where he, uh, he knocked the ball out of bounds when Wingard, all he needed to do was really tap it back in and they were almost home for a goal. So he did some great work there, some great bursts off halfback, great bursts through the center. Are you seeing more and more how he's going to function as a midfielder in this team? I'd say so, yeah. I mean, he's probably not ideally as a sort of a you know overhead mark and a, that sort of thing. He's obviously, you can see when he takes off and takes on two or three players and kicks a crazy goal. Um, you know, if he can sort of do that for longer, longer spurts and just sort of be be smart in terms of, you know, sometimes he'll try and take on too many and he'll get pinged or whatever. But um, the, the damage he can do, obviously, sort of the last quarter is, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of you know, game, game-winning sort of um, stuff. And it's, you know, he's, you know, he's 22 and he's played 60-odd games. So anything is possible in the next few years. Yeah, look, he can win games kicking the goals, but he also can win the game by, by picking the ball up at halfback, you know, shrugging off two or three tackles, bursting through, taking two bounces and spotting up a guy up forward because if you can just burst through and have that sort of speed, it puts the defenders uh, on the back foot and then you open up the whole forward line. You open up it for Red Path. You open up Dixon's ability to lead just for him just you know, shrugging guys aside, just, just pushing to the ground and picking the ball up at pace and just bursting through. To me, yeah, he will start to get more time in the midfield and that's where he's going to that's where he's gonna work best as his career you know, as he moves into being a 24, 25-year-old. And yes, he'll still be a player who plays up forward a bit, but I think that he'll start to play. Maybe he only plays, instead of playing half a quarter, maybe he plays a quarter and a half in the midfield, but I think that he can be tremendously damaging. We've seen the last two weeks that when the game's there to be won and they put him into the midfield, it turns around so much for, for what we're able to do because you, we we don't have a power athlete like that in the midfield. We've got, we've got Bonson Pallady. We know what he is. He's big, he's strong, he's got a smart footy brain, all that sort of stuff. He's not explosive. You know, Libba's not explosive. Wallace isn't explosive. Hunter's not explosive. But we've got one guy who's explosive. And you put Stringer in there to break that up and then get those other guys involved and it could uh, it could really start to work out. And you can see Beveridge really starting to push that recently and it's it's worked the last two weeks and no reason why he shouldn't continue to go with it. Uh, yeah, I mean, combined with the guys we've got to come back in terms of Eastern Wood and I mean, later in the year, Johannesson and... Those sort of guys. I mean, if Stringer can sort of, you know, do bits and pieces in there and, um, you know, sort of show his show his stuff, and you know, obviously if he's sort of down forward and he's, you know, going crazy and kicking goals left, right, and centre, you leave him there. But um, game like today was a perfect time for him to get up there, and um, you know, two in the last quarter is pretty invaluable. So, I mean, big, big game next week. So hopefully, hopefully he can do some more of it. Absolutely. Um, the, I thought the rough, the ruck, the rough duo, the ruck duo, Roughhead and Campbell were as the, as they normally are, like good, you know, serviceable, servicing our midfielders brilliantly, great work around the ground, unbeaten. It, it, I think they're pretty much unbeaten in terms of a ruck duo this season, and just kept on doing exactly what they needed to do. Yeah, I mean it's very unexpected, especially you know not having, I suppose at the start of the year. You, the ruck was one sort of area where we weren't really sure what the hell was going to go, what was going to happen. But these guys have been really consistent and, you know, they've both sort of had 25, nearly 29, 24 hit outs each. And I mean, you can always say they're always going to compete and they're always going to, you know, be hard and all that sort of thing. So 
um, it's pretty hard to fault the way they're going currently. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're doing some, some really great work um, for us. Now, Tori Dixon was solid again, didn't do a huge amount, but I always, and I'll continue to say this until it changes, but every time he ventures outside of Ford 50, I feel like he's going to make a mistake, and he just looks so uncomfortable when he's pushed up into the midfield, into the wing. But, you know, I guess, again, Dalhouse going down, people have got to step up and, and play some different roles, but he still makes me a little bit concerned every time he gets the ball anywhere outside that Ford 50. Not much else to really talk about with the with the players in this game. So, I, mean, I think we've covered pretty much all of that. Yeah, I, I um, yeah, I mean, I think it's yeah. I mean, as we said at the start, I mean, this sort of this sort of win is probably something we even last year probably wouldn't have sort of pulled off in terms of um, the sort of situation where we were playing, being away from Melbourne and whatnot. So, um, you know, obviously, hopefully, over the next, I mean, there's a bye coming up in a couple of weeks, but. Once we sort of start to trickle some of the more experienced players back in, um, you never know what we can do. Well, we've got Geelong this week. We're going to not have Dalhouse, it appears, but signs are good that, that Eastern Wood can return, so maybe we do a straight swap that way. Um, Adams rolled his ankle. That's why he missed out on today's game, so maybe he's back. But, yeah, Hamling, obviously, he did quite well. You'd prefer Adams in there, but there's a couple of guys to come back in. And I think we, we would be remiss if we didn't touch on the return of Clay Smith who played with uh, Footscray today in his first game back since hurting his knee early on last season. And um, Smitty, he had 36 touches. Not a bad return from uh, from an ACL. No, that, that's that's outstanding. <laughs> I mean, he's obviously been through a hell of a lot with three new reconstructions and, um, you know, it's been, what, four or five, four seasons or whatnot. But um, 36, I mean, that'll, that'll sort of, you know, brighten the place up even more after, I mean, the They'll be obviously over the moon with the win, but seeing that sort of guy, obviously who's you know very popular within the playing group, um, you can just sort of see how that can sort of get them going for the second half of the year. Absolutely, I don't think he comes back next week. I think that they would want to run him through after the bye. But then again, if Dalhouse remains out, if there's some other injuries, I think they you could see him maybe returning to the senior team after the bye. But I really think it'll be a stretch for him to come back next week especially if the likelihood of Wood and Adams both returning. I don't think they'd then make three changes and put and put Smith in as well. They'd want to give him a couple more games at Footscray and then maybe look at it after the season or after the bye. But it just gives us an extra player who's a, you know, a grunt guy, a guy who can lay 10 tackles, who can get you know, a huge amount of contested possession and can go forward and kick an occasional goal. Obviously, his disposal hasn't been you know, the greatest throughout his career, but he's still you know, a really key player because if we're going to lose Dalhouse, you need... You need someone who's tenacious, and he fits that bill pretty much to a T. Uh, yeah, completely. Um, you know, we saw it last year, obviously, when he went down in the game against St Kilda. He was having a terrific game that day, and um, you know, it's been yeah, it's it's you feel really really bad for those sort of guys that haven't haven't had a proper chance to show what he can do. So, um, you know, as you said, give him a few few more weeks in the Footscray side, and um, obviously, it seems like there'll be a spot or two. Possibly in a few weeks, and we'll wait and see. Yep, exactly. All right, Smitty, we are we are done for today's show. We've got a big game coming up next week. Um, huge win here, another one, another another win of the season. Maybe we can make it three in a row where we have best wins of the season. If you are uh, if you like this podcast, make sure you subscribe on iTunes and um, like like it on Facebook, share it on Twitter, and if you do want to find us on Twitter, it is at the Kennel Pod, and Facebook is facebook.com slash the Kennel Podcast. You can find Simon on Twitter. Where can we find you, Simon? Uh, it's Simon A. Benedict. So you can find Simon over there, and you can find me on Twitter at redrock underscore b-ball. 
enjoy, guys. In savor the victory. We've got a whole week to uh to enjoy and, and watch the replay multiple times. That's it. Thanks, Simon, for coming on again. Thanks, Josh. No problem. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.